Welcome to Tales of Britain and Ireland. This is a podcast telling the stories, legends and folk tales of Britain and Ireland in no particular order. Presented by Graham and coming direct from South Yorkshire, each episode tells a story or selection of stories from all across these islands and throughout their history, followed by a short and decidedly inexpert discussion of the origin and themes of each tale. So today we're back in the world of Fionn McCool. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes on the boyhood of Fionn, well I'd say go and check them out before listening to this one. If you're going to go and do that, then I'll see you soon. Right, well if you're here now, then I'm going to assume you've listened to those episodes already. I should say at this point that you may notice there's a couple of changes in pronunciation from those episodes to this one. At some point I may go back and re-record them, but for the moment they are mostly minor characters and you'll probably work out where I went wrong pretty quickly. And that embarrassing disclaimer out the way, I'll give you a quick Fionn recap so you're up to speed. The still very young Fionn McCall is now head of the Fianna, a semi-independent army, loyal technically to the High King of Ireland, but kind of also independent of him, a separation of military and monarchy. The place and time is mythical ancient Ireland, and it is a confusing era, bursting with danger, adventure and magic. The old gods still kind of live on as the strange she, mostly consigned to their other world beneath the barrows, but occasionally emerging to cause havoc amongst the mortals. High magics and inhuman monsters are ever-present dangers in this world. The humans of Ireland are split into small kingdoms, with a kind of dotted line reporting chain to the High King, with Fionn and the Fianna kind of sitting off to one side. Now outside the small circles of these kingdoms' firelight are vast swathes of untamed wilderness and enchanted lands. In the previous story we found out that Fionn's dad was murdered by Fionn's maternal granddad, Tyg, who worked with Gol McMorna, and the semi-demi-wemi divine boy that was Fionn McCool had to grow up fast, which he did quite literally. Raised by his badass foster mothers, the preternaturally old beyond his years preteen got his fish oils, defeated one of the she, defeated his grandad, and took leadership of the Fianna, and got his grandad's great white stronghold at the Hill of Almu to boot. As a peace offering, and to show he wasn't all about the violence, he placed previous chief bad guy, Gol McMorna, as one of his primary generals. And after this, Gol served Fionn as his right-hand man. Fionn's stint as leader of the Fianna is now just beginning, and one of the wholesome perks of the situation is that having delivered himself from exile, he now gets to hang out with his birth mum again, after having to be apart from her during his childhood. So, that's recap over. Let's return to Ancient Ireland. know something? I really love being king of the stronghold of Galway, said Fergus Fionnlia, king of the stronghold of Galway. I mean, the power, the people, this great harbour, the loyalty of my good servants, this big house. 
It's really a good life and a good world at that. Truly, says an attendant, you are a just and good ruler to love all the facets of this world so. Oh, thank you for saying. But no, I must correct you. I do not love all the things of this world. At this, Fergus's face was cast into shadow for dramatic effect. For there is one facet that blights this beautiful land of ours for me, that darkens this otherwise perfect existence. Oh yes, of course. Yes, of course there is, sir. Sorry. Do you know what it is? Well, yes, you do mean... I'll tell you. Dogs. Wretched, horrible creatures, loping along all suspiciously with those nasty little padded paws and bow-wowing all over the place and shitting on the furniture and eating the post and all of that. A curse upon the wretched lot of them. Am I right, my man? Uh, yes, of course, sir. Dogs. They are the absolute worst. Ooh, if there was a dog here, I don't know what I'd do. Can you imagine? Sire, said the attendant. I really hope you aren't tempting fate and setting yourself up for some kind of... But just at that moment, he was interrupted by another attendant bursting into the hall. My lord, a messenger has arrived from Fionn, leader of the Fianna. Only a few steps after him came Fionn's runner, one of the most recognisable people in all the land. And following her, on a leash, came a large wolfhound. Fergus Fionnlia. King of Galway, my master Fion wishes you good health, and he asks that you take this hound as your own, and take proper care of it. For his part, Fergus Fionnlia turned red and started to shake a little. Well, er, uh, there's not a problem, is there? said Fion's messenger, sweetly. Uh, 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 uh. As I was saying, said the attendant as the messenger left, I hope with all this talk of dog-hating, you're not setting yourself up for some kind of ironic punishment. Now it may seem odd to you that a man should hate dogs so, though this was at a time before dog breeds had been multiplied to give rise to all the adorable, cute little puppers we have today. Some form of murderous hounds was really the only option, So, perhaps, knowing that, we can forgive him somewhat. But then again, it was even stranger for that. For a king's dogs weren't just some pet you could choose to have around or not and dress in amusing Halloween outfits. They were vital for hunting, around which so much of nobles' lives revolved. They provided food, companionship and status. Dogs were not just something cute, they were a valuable and prestigious tool. But Fergus hated them for all of that. Now let's leave Fergus to stew for a bit and shift the scene back a few months and to Almu. The great fortress was once occupied by Fionn's murderous control freak grandfather but was now the home slash headquarters of Fionn and the Fianna. And this day, the Fianna had guests. Fionn's mum, Myrna, had popped by for a visit and had brought her younger sister in tow. I really like what you've done with the place, said Myrna, eyeing her old home. Shields on the wall. Nice. Very contemporary. 
After all the years they had spent apart, it was wonderful for both Fionn and Myrna to start to build a normal mother-son relationship. And Fionn, this is your aunt, Turin. Hi, said Turin. Pleased to meet you, said Fionn, rather formally. Family stuff was always quite awkward for him, with the whole situation with his grandad murdering his dad, and he in turn exiling his grandad, and all of that. Now Turin was a much younger woman than her sister, and as such, returning to her home to find it occupied by the presence of the leading men of the Fianna was, in her opinion, a great improvement. She took a great deal of interest in those men, and received a great deal back in return. And it didn't take long before the inevitable happened. Fionn Ullen Urchtak, prince and chief of the Ulster Fianna, came to his general one day. What can I do for you, Ullen? A matter of the heart, sir. And things took their natural course. Within a few weeks it was all arranged, and the marriage was on. There was one slight oddity that was introduced into the proceedings. Fionn was still new to the captaincy of the Fianna, and so while he had no reason to doubt Ullan, he couldn't personally vouch for the man as of yet. And this was his aunt. Though she seemed pretty happy now, there was always a chance things could change. And this not being the hottest time for women in general, Fionn wanted a way to help her out if that was the case. So he set in motion some minor legalistic conditions. Firstly, before the marriage, several of the Fianna bigwigs had to vouch for Ulan. Quilter Lugav and her old friend one-eyed Gol McMorna all gave references. Fionn considered them and found them acceptable. In addition, Fionn said that should he, Fionn, ever ask for her, his aunt, Turin, to be brought back safe and sound, then that wish would be granted. Or else, the consequences would be grave. I get the impression he was really worried about a bluebeard situation. Now the condition that your wife could be called away by Fionn at his whim and not hers might seem a more unreasonable term. But Fionn's power was great, and Ullen accepted it without question. And so, the happy couple were wed. And after the nuptials were complete, off they set to Ulster, with joy in their hearts, looking forward to a life of happiness together, with Turin confident that there were absolutely no critical backstory events in her husband's life that he hadn't told her about. And we cut to somewhere dark. He's done what? said Ukdelov, or Fairbreast. A bit on the nose, that name. Now, Ukdelov was a member of that otherworld race known as the She. She was an all-round incredibly dangerous and powerful magic user. She also just happened to be King Ullen's ex. A few days later still, King Ullen and his newly pregnant queen were lounging around in their home when they received a visitor in the form of Fionn McCool's runner. The couple greeted her warmly and asked her what news she brought. My lord, Fionn intends to visit you. You are to have the provisions ready for a great feast for when he arrives. 
and I also bring messages especially for the ears of your queen. Perhaps we could step a little outside this place for a bit, my lady. Yes, of course, said the queen. And soon thereafter, the two women were walking a little way from the palace. Fionn's messenger didn't need her to go far, just a little away from the house, out of sight of any of the guards. The messenger turned to the queen, and in one fluid motion she produced a hazel rod from beneath her cloak, and an expression of hatred suddenly flashed across her face. Turin saw that expression and recoiled, but it was too late. The hazel wand struck Turin on the shoulder as she began to scream, and the sound was caught in her mouth as she felt her throat change, tighten, lengthen. Though the attention she could pay to that was limited, as every part of her body shifted unnaturally. She watched in horror at the change, and as she watched the colours drained from the world around her, and she felt herself falling towards the floor. She reached out instinctively, and caught herself with her arms in a way that suddenly felt natural. She cried out again, this time kind of successfully. There was certainly a noise... A kind of whine. Uk Delov shed the image of Fionn's messenger as she looked down with leering triumph at the hound in front of her. Quickly she attached a collar around its neck and tugged it along with a lead. You won't be taking anyone else's man now, will you? Then she laughed cruelly. You and me are off to pay a visit to Fergus Fionlia. If you were listening in the introduction to this episode, you'd know that he hates dogs more than any man in the world. What a lovely short life you're going to have with him. Come on, doggy. And so saying, the dark sorceress dragged the terrified, transformed Turin away to her fate. And so you can probably understand that that's how it came to be that a short time later, a supposed messenger of Fionn was presenting Fergus Fionnlia with a dog. Let's return to that hall where we began. Fergus, my master Fionn wishes you good health, and he asks that you take this hound and take proper care of it. Fergus took a deep breath. His attendants nervously waited for the explosion, but it did not come. That is... strange. Fionn knows all about my aversion to these creatures. The messenger's stance shifted very slightly. Her hand moved closer to the hidden hazel rod. But I cannot refuse a request from Fionn even though I would dearly like to. The hand reaching for the wand relaxed. Give the wretched beast to me, I suppose. Uktdelov passed the chain to the displeased king. Thank you, my lord. Do enjoy your time here, she added, smiling broadly at the dog. What was that? said the king. 
Oh, I meant nothing. Just that you should enjoy your time with your new canine best friend, that's all. Right. Well, I'll leave you two together. Uck Delve got maybe five steps outside of the house before the mad cackling began. And yes, as an aside, this is definitely one of those why don't you just shoot him, I've got a gun in my room moments. As revenge plans go, this option seemed pretty bad compared to most of the others on offer. If some kind of she logic means you really need to turn her into a dog as opposed to just killing her yourself or moving her away, and you need to involve Fergus, why not just tell him something like, it's a dog, do what you'd normally do to dogs. But no, you're going to decide to tell him that Fionn wishes him to treat the dog well, knowing he has lots of respect for Fionn. Look, I'm not rooting for the evil scorned elf lady against the blameless Turin whose life started with that shitty dad and all, but really, this is the kind of behaviour that gives villains a bad name. Because as we return to the story, we find that a few months have passed, and would you believe it, but Mr. My defining character trait is my dislike of dogs, has a new defining character trait, fickleness. Fickleness and the love of his new wolfhound best friend. Oh, you want to go hunting, do you? Okay, girl, well, let's go hunt some deer, shall we? Bork, bork, and all that. Fergus turned to his long-suffering attendant. This dog. Wonderful, isn't she? Don't you just love dogs? Aren't they so perfect? Very good, sir. Haven't I always said it? Haven't I always said, the man's best friend is a dog? Isn't it so true? Turin, for her part, seemed to be dealing with her fairly awful situation by... Well, by hunting down every animal she saw and brutally murdering it. Now whether this was some natural instinct passed on by the dog form, or whether she was just practising her own brand of rage room therapy, I don't know. But she went for it. And she had a new best friend and certified dog person in Fergus Fionlia. But after these few months, she was finding it increasingly difficult to hunt. And, on Vet's orders, she was confined to quarters. That is, until after the birth of her two pups. It was easier to keep a secret in pre-modern Ireland than it is today. But nevertheless, eventually, important facts would out. Particularly if you were, for instance, the head of the largest independent fighting force in the country. So one day, word reached Fionn McCall that his aunt was no longer living with Ullen Urktak. As calmly as possible in the circumstances, Fionn decided that this was a very pertinent time to activate that little clause in the marriage contract. And he demanded her safe return to him. And he also reminded Ullen that if this request was not honoured by himself, then the Fiona would be compelled to enforce it. He also mentioned that should Ullan be strangely absent, those members of the Fiona who vouched for him would find themselves with some explaining to do. Probably to an axe blade. 
The message reached Dullan, who, to his credit, was worried sick for his wife and his unborn child, and really had no idea where she had gone after that fateful day when Fion's messenger arrived. Now when Fion's messenger returned, bringing Fion's demands to Ullen, there was almost certainly one of those embarrassing mix-up situations, with the messenger and Ullen saying in unison, The last time I saw her was with you. No, with you. Hang on, what? Maybe the messenger was put into prison or something, but whatever occurred, it was eventually sorted out, as light began to dawn on Ullen. Oh yes, there was that powerful, magical otherworld being that he'd had a fling with, but then dropped like a tab when the chance of a more conventional human marriage came up. I wonder whether that might have something to do with it, he said to himself. He begged permission from Fion to leave to quest for his lost wife, assuring Fion he would get her back or return himself for trial. It didn't take long. He headed straight to the great earthen barrow where he had last seen his scorned lover. And she was there, waiting for him. She smirked. Look who came crawling back. I set a dog for you, and look what prey she has brought in. The fair-breasted one laughed and laughed in a deeply unpleasant manner. Hey, Ukdelov, you're looking well. It was always so embarrassing meeting your exes, and especially in a situation like this. Ullen dispensed with any small talk and cut to the chase. You might know this already, though I pray that you do not. But I am looking for my wife. Ukdelov winced at the words. Now, if I don't find her, Fionn McCool will have my head. Well, maybe I know what's become of her. Hey, she's still alive somehow. I didn't just kill her off. I just gave her to the man that I thought would, but she survived. I didn't plan for that. But in this case, that might actually be an advantage. It's all coming up roses for me, isn't it? What do you want for her? Oh, nothing much, my love. Just your hand in marriage, and for you to be true to me. Forever. Ulan bit his lip. Now he could try to use force to make the she return his wife. This was a warrior culture. And he was a warrior. Yet, well, to put it bluntly, the power dynamics between the human and the she was a bit one-sided. Do remember that just one of the she had burnt down the capital of Ireland for the last 20 years, and was only stopped by Fia McCool, himself a demigod of sorts, who possessed all the knowledge of the world, and even then only when using a particularly wakeful magic spear, and only then because the she had ventured away from his otherworld home in the first place. Ullen would fancy his chances better in a cage fight with the ocean than against Duck Delove. And so he said, Okay, I'll do it. I'll marry you. I'll stay with you forever. Just bring my wife, ex-wife. My ex-wife. Bring her back. Ukdelov had won. Perhaps she wasn't expecting everything to be quite so easy, but she wasn't complaining. 
she did a little victory dance and then returned to Fergus's palace, dropped all pretenses and marched herself in. Fergus was playing lovingly with his favourite dog and her pups as the strikingly beautiful woman invaded his home. Hang on a minute, you can't just... Guards! Don't like dogs, like dogs now. She shot Fergus and his guards glances of such malice and power that they cowered away from her. Turin in her dog form got up. She growled menacingly. She didn't know what was happening, but it couldn't be good. But this time, she wouldn't stand for it. She knew how to use this body to kill now, and she welcomed the fight. Oh, really? As Turin leapt, Ukdel produced the hazel rod, tapped the dog on the shoulder, and a few moments later there was a naked woman in the hall. As the confused Turin struggled to her feet, Ukdelov regarded the puppies. Nothing could be done about them. Dogs they were born and dogs they would be. She addressed Turin mockingly. He's mine now. Enjoy your children. And she disappeared as quickly as she had arrived. My... my dog! My lovely dog! In unison... Turin and Fergus's attendant turned to the king. Please, do shut up. Some time had passed. Turin had returned to Fion, taking her puppies with her. Eventually, she would recover from her ordeal, move on with her life, and, because there's nothing wrong with having a type, she'd settle down with another of Fion's lieutenants. With him, she seems to have lived as averagely content a life as is possible in the wild and dangerous world of Mythological Island. What happened to Ukt, Delav and Ullen, I don't know. Perhaps her victory began to sour after a while. Having a spouse you coerced into marriage is not a course of action generally recommended to bring about a happy union, but we do not hear of them again. What we can be sure of is that one way or another, Ullung gave up his free life in order to save the wife he loved. And as for those adorable puppies, well, there's a bit of a story behind them. They stayed with their mother for a while, but they were dogs. And in Fionn's household, dogs had a purpose. They grew up fast. And they weren't just your average run-of-the-mill dogs, these two. Bran and Shkolan were their names. And the she-magic surrounding their creation made them more than usual dogs. Better, stronger, faster and smarter. Bran was especially imbued with enchantment. A huge, powerful and sleek hound who demonstrates an intelligence to match the wits of a man, with supernaturally attuned senses, a finely honed hunting prowess, and even a strange venomous claw that could kill with one stroke. So it was that these dogs, who were Fionn's cousins, joined the Fiana in their hunting, and in little time at all they became the chief dogs of the Fiana and Fionn's best companions. Despite their species, the two dogs would soon be counted amongst the very best of the Fianna, and in the many adventures to come, 
their success and fame was as much as any human. So that's the episode this time. A somewhat unusual story in its narrative form, and shorter than usual, but it's an important story in the Fenian cycle. The Fenian story we will be covering in the next episode requires these characters in place. Now I've said a fair bit about Fionn McCool already, and I'm not going to rehash it all here. There's no doubt that this is a Fionn tale, in that it explains the origins of his famous dogs, but in this particular story he's really just a bit player. The story highlights the capricious nature of the she and the sheer power that they have. There's definitely arguments that can be made that would see them as metaphors for this or that faculty of human emotion or behaviour, or as metaphors of the power of nature or life events. But I actually like taking them at face value, as a bunch of overpowered humanish creatures with most of our flaws, and then seeing how normal humans just have to kind of deal with having them in their lives. In that way, it's a bit like the Greek gods, or any of those franchises that explore more realistic kinds of superheroes, like Watchmen, or The Incredibles, or The Gummy Bears. The story is also one that highlights how the Shi aren't necessarily enemies that can be overcome. Certainly, when I first read this, I was expecting Fionn to ride in to the rescue. But no, Ukdelov has her wicked way, and there is no army of Fenians to rescue poor Ullan. In many ways, this isn't perhaps a full story of the Fiana. It's an explanatory story, an etiologic tale for Bran and Shkilan. What we're really at here is the stage of the Fenian cycle where all the main characters are getting their origin stories. Anyone who has watched a superhero franchise is familiar with that. And I'm really trying to sell you the Fenian cycle here, because this kind of story is one of the reasons I really enjoy it. While we start off with Fionn, the cycle is definitely not a simple linear walk through of his life but rather there's a complex web of characters with their own fully fleshed out backstories, and they interact in all kinds of equally complex ways. They also do so in a way that is mostly coherent, if you don't feel the need to include every version of every story, that is. We'll touch on this more next episode, but I am confident that the Fenian Psyche would make a great HBO or Netflix original show, and if there's any producers listening, you can have that one on me. Please go and make that, I think it'll be excellent. Now in the case of this story, the characters who are getting their origin stories happen to be Fionn's dogs. But they are going to go on to become central players in this story. Well, kind of. Bran definitely is. Shkilan sometimes gets a look in. Generally in these stories, dogs play a massive, important part. And I'm just going to quote wholesale here from Kate Chadbourne, who's written a great article on this subject and expresses it better than I could. Quote, but the dogs of the Fianna were far more than herds and hunters on the one hand, or mere pets on the other. Although they were indeed responsible for a large part of the communal sustenance, bringing down massive numbers of stags and boars, and for protecting the camps and keeping watch, they were also regarded by individual Fianna as friends, companions, and warriors in their own right. The human qualities of loyalty, intelligence, wiliness, and vulnerability are attributed to them throughout the ballads. This hound love, as Gerard Murphy calls it, takes the form of copious praise for the prowess of dogs during their lives, and heartfelt grief and honourable burial at their deaths. End quote. 
Now, you might be wondering where these stories come from, and the answer is from various Irish manuscripts. There's a version of the Duanoa Fion, which dates from the 1620s, as we mentioned in the last Fion episode. But the original sources, as with all these tales, is much older still, and the earliest mention of this story, in something like its current form, comes from as far back as the 1390s, from the evocatively titled Yellow Book of Lechan. As with all these tales, there's a real kind of desire to want to go back even earlier, and we know the Fion stories certainly do, but it's difficult to be certain of what form they took. And, as I always say, there are different versions of this tale as well. The variant I found that changed the story the most was one where it was perfectly possible for the dogs to be changed back into humans, and Ukdelov gave that choice to Fion, who rather creepily decided he'd rather have his cousins as dogs than as people. Now, Fion is not simply a morally good character, but I decided that that choice was a bit beyond the pale even for him. And furthermore, it's not the common variant of the story. So Fion's got his dogs now, but there's a whole gang to bring together. And we'll be picking that up next episode, when we'll be continuing the stories of the Fenian cycle with some more tales of metamorphosis. Before I sign off for this episode, I'd also like to say a real heartfelt thanks to everyone who's been listening to this podcast. We're just over half a year into the podcast, and this last month has been by far our most successful in terms of listeners. As you'll notice from the three weekly release schedule, this podcast is a hobby for me, and real life has a tendency to restrict the amount of time I can devote to promoting it on social media, or generally doing much else apart from recording episodes. But follows, comments, suggestions and the like really make it all feel worthwhile. There's so many stories I want to tell, and this release cycle is hardly enough to make a dent in them, but I'm just going to keep chipping away at it, and any support that you can give me is really appreciated. You can follow Tales of Britain and Ireland podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. There's also a website, talesofbritainandireland.com, where there's a page for each episode which contains more information, including illustrations, asides and recaps along with other additional bits and pieces to explore. The intro music was written and performed by Alice Nichols, and you can find all the other musical credits on the episode page on the website. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please do share it with others or give it a review, as those really are the best ways to help us out. You can also join Tales of Britain and Ireland on Patreon to get extra members' episodes. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me again soon. (laughs) 